our sermon series of what it means to become crossover people. Um, it's just three messages, one next week to finish off. But uh, crossover people, people who desire uh, to live on the victory side of faith. Is that what you want? I hope it is what you want uh, for this year, if you didn't want it even for last year, to live on the victory side of faith. And when we're using the, the, the uh, experience of the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 3, if you want to turn there now, uh, we're using that as a backdrop or as a, an illustration of what it means not only to know the will of God, but to obey the will of God and to move out, to cross over into what God calls us into, especially, especially in those moments or those circumstances where we might be fearful, we might be anxious about following through, about moving ahead or crossing over to what God is calling us to. Uh, we said last week that one of the consequences of not crossing over into the will of God is, is simply to spend our time, waste our time even, wandering in a spiritual wilderness, going round in circles, saved but, but stuck, declared righteous, yes, but living in defeat after defeat, all the while when God has promised that if we'll trust him completely and we'll obey him in 2020, we'll be amazed. We've already sung about his amazing grace, but we'll be amazed at his greatness and his goodness as his will unfolds in, in our lives. And I, I want to acknowledge, of course, that for some of you, 2019 was a year to forget. You're glad it's over uh, for one reason or another. Uh, and you're hoping and you're believing that 2020 is going to be a better year for you and your loved ones. And you know, somehow in our psyche, uh, a new year gives us an opportunity for a fresh start, at least it seems like that. And it's not uncommon, of course, for, for many of us, if not all of us, to make some kind of new year resolutions. But come the middle of January, or even the 5th of January as it is today, if we've made resolutions as the year turned, uh, we somehow tend to, uh, to fail or, or, or forget our resolutions. And as often as not, we, we drift back into our old ways, don't we? Over and over again, God's word reminds us that in, in different ways, his ancient people, that is the children of Israel, had a, had a chronic, if not an obsessive compulsive propensity to forget him and revert to old patterns of bad behavior and ways of sinful living that they should never have got involved with. And you know, there's a striking parallel with, with our generation even uh, and the culture in which we're living today and even in our own personal lives. Uh, we tend to forget sometimes. We start out well, but then we forget or we fail one way or another. Heard about a man who moved into a retirement home. I'm not there yet, although my birthday's coming up, but uh, it wasn't long until he had met a number of friends among the other residents, as you do. And there was one lady who he was especially attracted to. And in fact, she was attracted to him. And so they spent a lot of time together. And finally, one evening, he proposed. And he asked her to marry him. Well, the next morning, he woke up remembering his proposal with great excitement. But he had forgotten her answer. So he went to her and he said, listen, I'm really embarrassed I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. And she replied, oh, thank goodness, she said. I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> <laughs> we have this tendency 
this default sometimes to forget and not follow through, not really continue to cross over into what God's calling us to. Well, in Joshua chapter 3, Moses had already led the people out of Egypt. He had brought down the Ten Commandments from the mountain and he had led them through 40 years of, of wandering through the desert. They had, they had seen God part the Red Sea, provide bread from heaven and water out of a rock and he had led them, uh, God had led them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Then Moses died and, and left the people in the hands of Joshua and they now stood on the, the edge of the flooded river Jordan. We talked about that last week. Ready to go into the land that God had promised them for centuries and their future awaited them. And as they gathered at the river's edge waiting to cross over, they were not sure what that future might look like. And I believe that Joshua's first words to God's people then and by his Holy Spirit and, and the record of God's precious word, uh, they're, they're important to us today. And they can speak with power into our lives as we, as we start this new year, as well as into the life of our church family. So let's read again in Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are the Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Don't go near it. And then this is what Joshua said to the people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. My, isn't that a powerful statement and a powerful, powerful promise. We, we read the whole chapter last week. We're not going to do it again. But, but if you'd like to turn to the New Testament, I'd like to read some, some words from uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 1, if you want to go there in your, in your, in your New Testament. Uh, some words that, that, that will resonate, actually, with what Joshua said to the children of Israel, if I can, if I can find it. Somebody tell me where it is. After James, yes. So 1 Peter chapter 1, just reading from verse 3. Peter's writing to a scattered people. He's, he's writing to God's people in the first century who through persecution had moved, moved out of their locations and were all over uh, the area. And he sends them this letter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, salvation isn't just a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You know, we, we, we were saved. There was a moment in time we came to God. We are being saved as we live that life of consecration and, and, and holiness, and then we will eventually be saved and glorified uh, when we get to the promised land of, of heaven that's promised for all who, who trust him. In this you greatly rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with 
inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, Peter says, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels longed to look into these things. Therefore, this is the important part, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just listen, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. So Joshua's first words to the people as they stood trembling at the river's at the river bank with the flood and they were looking across to where God was calling them into the promised land. His first words were two important words. Consecrate yourselves. Other translations uh, uh, use words like sanctify yourselves. But they essentially mean the same thing and Peter lays it out uh, as, as, when he says as, as he who called you is holy so be holy in all that you do. And what both Joshua and then Peter we're both trying to convey was that, as we noted last week, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And he invites us, he calls us to join him in that mission, whatever it is, wherever it is. And so we're called to be a people who, who are spiritually ready, maturing in our faith, so that whatever we're called to be or to do, we'll be ready and we'll be willing to obey. The following note, I'm going to read it to you, was found in an old tin can that was wired to the handle of an old pump, water pump, that offered the only hope of drinking water for a very long and, 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 and very uh, dry trail across a vast desert. Now get that picture in your mind. A traveller has uh, a desert. He's travelled long and he's a long way to go yet. The sun's hot. He's parched and he comes to this pump. This water pump. And there's a note dangling in an old tin can. This is what the note said. This pump is alright as of June 1932 and I put a new leather washer into it. It ought to last five years but the washer dries out and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, beside the pump, I buried a bottle of water. And there's enough water in it to prime the pump. If not, or to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. So pour about a quarter of it and let it soak into the, uh, into the, to wet the leather washer. And then pour in all the rest, medium fast, and then pump like crazy. And you'll get water. The well has never run dry, so have faith. And when you get water pumping, fill the bottle first and put it back where you found it for the next, next fella. Signed, note was signed, Desert Pete. And he said, P.S., don't go drinking up the water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all you need. 
Now, if you were that lonely traveller, shuffling along that trail and parched with your canteen bone dry, would you trust that guy, Desert Pete? For all you know, he could be a lunatic. Uh, even there's no guarantees to what he claims is true. Now, you understand, of course, as probably we all do, that old pumps do have to be primed. But even so, pouring all that water in there, it's a risky gamble. What do you do? Well, you know, that story, as you're thinking about what you would do, illustrates an important principle. And it's what I call the principle of before. Before. The lonely traveler had to prime the pump before the water would flow, right? And that principle of before manifests itself in everyday life, doesn't it? There are battles before there can be victory. There are struggles before there can be a celebration. There are steps before arrivals. There's practice before perfection. There's study before graduation. And there's preparation before completion. Whatever it is. Over and over in scripture the pattern is also repeated. The Israelites had to march to the Red Sea before God parted it. Naaman had to wash seven times in the water before God cured him of leprosy. Gideon had to reduce his army from 32,000 down to 300 before God would deliver them from the Midianites. But nowhere was this principle of before more evident, I believe, than when Joshua was preparing to lead the Israelites into the promised land across the Jordan. Back on the banks of the Jordan, what Joshua was telling them to do was to prepare themselves for the task at hand. There was to be a before they could enter the land. Joshua was calling them to a ritual process back then of bathing and, and prayer that was to ensure that their bodies and their hearts and their minds were prepared for what God had planned for them. They were to make themselves physically and spiritually as pure and focused on the, on the holiness of God as possible. And if you come back tonight, we're going to look at that beatitude that talks about the pure in heart shall see God and what purity is. But Joshua tells the people to prepare themselves, but he wants them to know that they're preparing themselves so that they might witness God at work. And so he says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The people had witnessed the incredible work of God before, hadn't they? But Joshua wanted them to understand that they need to continue to keep their eyes open and their hearts ready in order to see a fresh anointing and the amazing things that God was going to continue to do. I wonder how many of us expect God to do things among us that would amaze us. Maybe you've seen some amazing things this past year, if you think about it. I wonder if we have become so comfortable in our religious routines that we fail sometimes to see God at work. In, in verse 9, Joshua tells the people, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And he begins to describe the way that God will go ahead of them and God will make a way for them. And I wonder, I really wonder, including myself here, do we come to worship? We come into his house and gather in his name to worship him, expecting God to move? 
Or do we walk with God in our daily lives, expecting God to work in us and to work through us and to work among us, in our families and friends, in ways beyond we can, uh, anything we can even imagine? No, we can't and we mustn't become content with living faith lives that don't allow room for God to amaze us. And we can't and we mustn't be content with a church life where, where every decision and every action is measured by our skills and abilities and our human capacities. God calls us to something more. God promises so much more. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And you know, I, I believe this call to consecrate yourselves or ourselves is still of great importance today because we too need to prepare ourselves for God to move amongst us and to work through us. God calls us to bathe our plans in prayer to make sure that all we are and all we do is in accordance with his will and his way. And, and to that end, I, I sensed very heavily this week God calling us to set aside a day. And, and with the, talking with the elders, we've decided to do that this Tuesday as we begin this year in this first week. Tuesday, the 7th of January, set a day aside for fasting and for prayer. Now, you may not have done any fasting before. Uh, some of you maybe can't fast because of a medical condition or whatever, but there's different ways you can do fasting. There's a little leaflet in the foyer that you can pick up that talks about fasting and different ways that you can do it and talks also about the, the need for prayer. And so whatever way it works for you during the day, spend some time fasting, but not just forsaking something for the sake of it, but, but, but allowing that time instead to be spent with God and, and, and giving more time to God and his word. And then at 8 o'clock, and I know it's normally the house prayer meetings this Tuesday, but they're going to forgo that until next week. But we're going to meet at 8 o'clock, not 8.30 as usual, but 8 o'clock here in the church. And we're going to spend some concentrated time, intentional time in prayer for, for ourselves, for the church, for our families, for, for, for Pastor Neil, for a multitude of things as the Lord leads us. So take one of the leaflets that's in the foyer. And uh, in fact, take one of uh, Andrew's prepared leaflets. Oops. Um, that gives you all the information for the next few weeks, actually. Uh, great, uh, a great resource to have. It's in the foyer as well. But we're going to spend some time in prayer. The task of the children of Israel was to prepare themselves. To come to this crossover moment with expectation. And, and to follow the way that God was, uh, was going to lead them. No matter how impossible it seemed to them. Because remember, it wasn't just the river. The river was in flood. That would seem impossible enough. But the other side of the river, if they all got across, they still had to contemplate uh, some of those cities that they're going to have to conquer. God had told them, you're going to have to conquer the land. Of course, Jericho was the first one. Uh, we, we, we know all about that. But God, you know, God was calling them to that. And, and in this year, 2020, God has gone ahead of us. I mentioned that last week, and he calls us to follow the path that he has set before us. And our task is to be faithful to follow, to be bold, to be courageous, and to be ready and willing to cross over the path that he's calling us into. Back in 1931, uh, Oscar Carl Ellison, he was a Swedish-American Assemblies of God pastor. He was living in Cook, Minnesota, and he wrote a hymn that was loosely 
based on an advertising slogan of a construction company that had recently built the Panama Canal. And the company's slogan was, we specialize on the holy impossible, doing things that no one else can do. But as Pastor Ellison uh, meditated on that slogan, he believed that only God could say that. And so this hymn with its familiar chorus was born. And he wrote this, Be of good courage, God spoke to Joshua, when o'er the river God pointed the way. Jordan uncrossable, things seemed impossible, waters divide as they march and obey. God's still the same, and his words dependable. He'll make a way through the waters for you. Life situations by him are all mendable. Mountains and hills he will part for you too. And you know the chorus, I'm sure. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. And he can do what no other can do. Amen. Amen. He was right. God specializes in things thought impossible. Joshua's message to the people was both a command and a promise. And the fulfillment of the promise depended on their obedience to the command. Some of God's promises, you know, are unconditional. Uh, they're unconditional, unconditional, and all we have to do is just, just believe them. While other promises have certain expectations, certain consequences attached to them, I want you to be clear that in meeting God's expectations, you're not earning his blessing. You're simply making certain that your heart is ready to receive his blessing. The promise of Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5 was that God would demonstrate his amazing, marvelous, miraculous power. But it was contingent on the people's willingness to consecrate or sanctify themselves. And you know, even as Christians, you and I need to be careful not to think that the most important thing in life is for us to be happy. And that God's only there just to make us happy. True happiness doesn't come from wealth or possessions or popularity or success or any of the things of this materialistic world. True happiness only comes from knowing God. And yes, God wants us to be happy. But more than that, God wants us to be holy, consecrated, set apart for him. A.W. Tozer said the true Christian ideal is not to be happy, but to be holy. And Oswald Chambers said, The destined end of man is not happiness, nor health, but holiness. God's one aim is the production of saints. He is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He didn't come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because he had created them to be holy. And it's a spiritual principle that before God shows up in his amazing power, we had better be consecrated we had better be fully devoted and set apart for him because if he shows up in power, listen, if he shows up in power and there's sin in the camp, look out. Look out. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. If you're harboring, harboring bitterness or unforgiveness or some secret sin, when God moves in his power, woe to you. Because judgment begins first in the house of God, as I've said, Joshua is warning them to prepare, to be ready. 
And this command should be a warning to us. God is going to move, so we'd better consecrate ourselves. But if you prefer, well, if you prefer the ritual routine over the amazing things of God, then you're probably going to be left behind in the wilderness side of the Jordan. You know, Jordan is a picture of death. But to be consecrated is to die to your old life. Old, your old self-satisfied, self-sufficient nature has to die. And then we'll be positioned to see God do amazing things. You know, I have to say that consecration or sanctification, holiness, or, those are not terms that you generally hear in common usage in our everyday conversations, or even in the modern church for that matter. But in their original intended context, when something was consecrated, it meant it was purified, it was set apart for sacred use. Today I would say it means to be spiritually prepared. And God generally can't use us unless we're ready to be used. You know, to be consecrated involves turning away from sinful behaviors. It's not only recognizing when we're doing what is wrong, but it also means that we're willing to make changes necessary to stop wrong behavior. Being consecrated means adopting a godly attitude to life. We must be teachable. We must be humble before the Lord. Consecrated life means living an obedient life. The person set apart for God does what God has commanded. And they start by being obedient in the little things. Honesty and integrity and love and respect. The person who is greatly used by God is the one who is serious about their commitment to him. And their faith is not a separate compartment in their life. Their relationship with Christ is what feeds and what drives everything in their life. You know, in the Old Testament, sanctification was usually tied to a, a ritual type of cleansing. And God gave very specific instructions for ceremonial cleanliness. And this imagery is carried over into the New Testament in Colossians, where it speaks of the necessity of being forgiven for sin, and then putting away the old patterns of behavior and attitudes, allowing those things to be washed away by the blood of Christ, and then to put on the new person and clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, whenever we face some new crossover opportunities, God's voice will always call his people to holiness and purity of life and separation from sin. And it means opening ourselves to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, to live an examined life, to be open to the truth, a willingness from us to admit any sin because it's only after our confession of sin and repentance and experiencing forgiveness that the Holy Spirit can enable us to be used by God and experience God's amazing things. And for the Israelites on the banks of the Jordan, it meant a type of ceremonial washing required by the Old Testament laws. But for us today, it means that we should not be ashamed to come afresh, daily in fact, back to the cross to claim the cleansing of the blood of Christ which washes away all of our sin and unclean, uncleanness. You know, I have a friend in Canada, in fact I've got one up in Portadown as well, and both of them almost obsessively Keep their cars clean. They love motor vehicles. They change them regularly. And they're, you know, after a few years of use, they're still as if they came out of the showroom. They're so obsessed with keeping them clean. They, they, they hate to see dust 
and they love to see the dust disappear. They love the shine of a freshly washed car. Uh, one of my friends in particular, the one in Canada, he shines up the tires every, nearly every day, makes the chrome sparkle nearly every day, cleans all the fingerprints off the windows. But of course, it doesn't stay like that for long. When he drives it again, dust gets on it, more road grime gets back on it, fingerprints show up again, it gets dirty, going through winter potholes, and so it needs a fresh washing again. He does that nearly every day. But you know, we're all like that, aren't we? As far as our life and living is concerned, as we drive ourselves through the streets of life, the dust of sin can settle on us. We might go through the mud holes of temptation instead of going around them. The fingerprints of disobedience stick to us and our souls need a fresh washing again. I love Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 that says, Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And he goes on to say, the prophet says, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. In other words, just watch what God will do. See, we can't just be forgiven and go on living any old way we like. Consecration means that we live a life that's set apart for worshipping God and, and, and service to God. And we need to get serious about living a life that is sold out, that's all in to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we follow him and, and live a consecrated life, we can look for and expect amazing things from God. Pastor Mark Batterson has written a book called All In. We use it as a study in our church back in Canada. But he says this, amongst other things, the gospel doesn't cost anything, but it demands everything. It demands that we go all in. A term that simply means placing all that you have and are into God's hands. Pushing it all in. And that's where we get stuck, he says, in spiritual no man's land. We're afraid that if we go all in that we might miss out on what this life has to offer. But it's not true. The only thing you'll miss out on is everything God has to offer. And the good news is this. If you don't hold out on God, God won't hold out on you. Amen. Don't you want to be part of something amazing? Don't you want to be part of a church where God is actively at work changing lives for all eternity? And you know, I really believe that we're on the cusp of something great and amazing as we enter into a new season in the life of this church. God has been faithful in the past, hasn't he? And that in itself is amazing when we look at, back at the history of this church. And still today we can reflect on faithful leaders that God has given us uh, at a time when so many churches are, are losing their way and closing shop. And yet Monaghan Elam has kept his focus on the scriptures on the power of God, on serving Jesus. And God has been faithful to this congregation through some very difficult seasons in individual lives, yes, as well as difficult times in the life of this congregation. He's amazing, isn't he? These are all amazing things. But listen, listen. The best days of Monaghan Elam are not behind us. I believe the best days are still ahead of us. And I believe that because God is still faithful. God is still as big and powerful as ever and the mission is not done. God gave us a commission as a church. As you go, he said, make disciples of all nations. And out there, 
There's a world that's still on God's heart. And, and you know, it, it would please me if someone sometime just put an inscription over the door coming into this church on the inside. As we leave, you would read that inscription that says, you are now entering the mission field. Out there. Right now, there are people out there who are lonely, trying to make ends meet, working hard, trying to provide for their family, feeling discouraged, beaten down. And Jesus has a word of hope for them, a word of forgiveness, a word of restoration, and a community that can surround them and help uphold them through the challenges that they're dealing with. And there are others who are struggling with life, trying to hold together the details of their lives as, as things fall apart underneath them, feeling their own weaknesses every day. And Jesus longs to touch those people. Jesus died for them. He longs to bring healing and the power of the Holy Spirit to change them into the image of Christ. And we're all part of that. We're all missionaries. The world is still in Jesus' heart. And that means that God is going to act among us his people, so we need to be ready, don't we? We need to be prepared. But the question is, are we? Are we? I said last week, one of my prayers is that I don't want to get to the end of my life and to look back, only to see that I just jumped through all the church hoops, but didn't really do what God was calling me to do. God has a calling for each one of us. So we need to be prepared. We need to be consecrated. You know, there's also a moral meaning behind this idea of consecration because in order to be purified, it may mean that there are things in our lives that have to go. There's going to be a struggle involved because to have the inner life consecrated, maybe some relationships might have to be brought under his control. Maybe some sinful habits will need to be broken. And even every thought, the scripture says, will need to be brought under subjection into captivity by the Holy Spirit. To be consecrated, these things have to happen. The heart and mind have to be pure. On a more practical level, maybe there's some of you here this morning and you may have to consecrate your time. We're incredibly busy people. You know, me included, I'm supposed to be retired, but you know, we're all busy. But could it be that we use our busyness as an excuse for not doing things that, that we should do and that God wants us to do? Oh, I'm too busy to read the scripture. Oh, I'm too busy to pray. I'm, I'm too busy to be available to serve, even in a small way, like, like cleaning the sanctuary. I'm too busy. But to design some margin into our lives, some elbow room. And so some of us may have to say no to some things, maybe even good things, in order that we can say yes to better and greater things for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of God. And what about sports and other leisure activities that we're all involved in? These are good things. We want to be involved in these things. But, you know, I've seen families driven by the commitments that they and their children have made to these things. And all they do for a period of maybe 68 years is drive their kids frantically from this to that and to the other thing. Is that the life that God's calling you to? It's a question that maybe some of you need to ask yourself regarding the consecration of your time. What about the consecration of our money? Oh, don't go there, Gord. <laughs> don't go there. The consecration of our money. 
You know, debt is one of the greatest unspoken problems in many people's lives. One of the, the commonest causes of arguments that can lead to separation and divorce and marriage. And in a materialistic society and a consumerism culture, we need to be careful with the temptation to spend and spend and how we manage God's money. It's his money. We need to be vigilant to see that we bring in more than we spend and we spend less than we bring in. And when that's your norm, then we can give cheerfully to the Lord in our tithes and in our offerings. And we can give to others and be used of God. Is there anyone here this morning, and that's, that's the message for you this morning, you need to consecrate your money and your use of your money? Perhaps for some people, as we draw to a close, move into communion. Song. Some people here, maybe you've got to consecrate your gifts and your gifting. God has given us all gifts which are useful in our personal lives or our work lives, yes. But listen, those gifts were given by the Holy Spirit primarily for kingdom life and kingdom work, for the building up of, of, of the body of Christ and for the glory of God. Do we know what our gifts are? And if we do, are we making them available to God? Do we need to consecrate our gifts? The church and being involved in God's kingdom is not meant to be boring. But if that's your experience, then probably it has a lot more to do with religion and very little to do with God. God who created, the God who speaks, the God who dwells with his people, the God who does amazing things. Religion, you know, is nothing more than a parody of Christianity. It's human-sized Christianity under human control because God-sized Christianity is different. In God-sized Christianity, God's in control, not us. And when God touches our lives and does something amazing, life might scare us. It might demand more from us, but it won't be boring for very long. Why don't we see more amazing things? Why don't we expect more? Well, the problem is surely not with God. The problem is with us. God hasn't retired. He never will. But the problem is that we carry around an inadequate view of God. Sure, God's real. Sure, God's involved in my life, but sort of like a spectator. Not someone who's going to rock my world and change everything. In other words, it's, it's easy to live a life with, without a whole lot of faith. And there's all kinds of things, Jordan rivers, if you like, that stand sometimes in the way of us living on the very edge of our seats, expecting God to do amazing things. Why is it that we don't see it? Well, I think there's two reasons as I close for the second time. First has to do with our agenda. Our agenda. Let me ask you, whose agenda is driving your life? In this passage that we've just looked at, Israel is on the edge of the promised land at a time in history that God has sovereignly chose. God called them out of Egypt. He provided his own leaders to them. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. And then God, on a certain day, at a certain time, the cloud moves them to this place, to the very edge of the promised land, and the river's at flood stage. There's no seeming way of a cross, but God chose that time. And God chose that place. He didn't ask Israel, is it a good time? For you to cross over, do you think? Do you, do you feel up to, to going into this land today? Uh, do, do you want to take a vote? It was God's agenda. 
One of the reasons we don't see God's amazing things is either in the church or in our personal lives is because we're constantly trying to get God to do amazing things on our agenda. We set the directions, we tell God what's needed and when, it, when it's needed and then God, like the good God that he is, we, we expect him to do it for us. Well, let me tell you this morning, it doesn't work like that. I've tried it and you've tried it. God's amazing things are done for his purposes in his timing and in his way. And he simply calls us to be prepared to follow his lead obediently. He wants to change the world one life at a time. And that means we need to be connected uh, with God's purposes. With his agenda. To quote Pastor Francis Chan, we need to routinely pray, God interrupt whatever we're doing so we can join you in what you're doing. And then the second reason we don't see God's amazing things is because of our, our ability. Did you realize that our own ability is actually sometimes an obstacle to faith? Because we only end up being willing to do what we know we can do. We stay inside our little comfort zone. We're self-motivated, self-confident, and so our Christianity becomes a human-sized version of the real thing. And we'll never see some of God's amazing things until we hear God's challenge. We see his agenda, and then we step into the gap. Even though we know we don't know at the time how we're going to meet that need or fulfill that vision, yet all the while believing by faith, as Hudson Taylor has said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's resources. Amen. So what's next for us as a congregation in 2020? What's next for you and for me personally? What are the amazing things that God might want to do among us this year? If we're seriously going to join God in his mission, we're going to have to set aside any agendas that we have for ourselves and just uh, uh, we need to put aside expectations that are just our size expectations that are totally manageable. We can handle that. Can't be our agenda. It can't be limited by our ability. God is going to do amazing things among us, but what will he do? Well, that's for God to answer, isn't it? But I believe he's going to provide the answer in the coming days and weeks and months. Not just through, you know, the local leaders, the elders, the session, whatever. Sure, we all have a role in shaping that and giving it direction, but I believe part of the discerning of the future lies in your hands as you pray, as you serve within the life of this church. You know, I thought about this first Sunday of January and, you know, I'll be here for a couple more weeks and then uh, Pastor Neil will be taking you forward as you cross over many other things, I'm sure. And I thought, you know, it might be good. It might be good for the church to have a, a verse for the year. And so I brought with me some bookmarks that you can take, put in your Bible. Monaghan Elam Church 2020. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Uh, they're available in the foyer. Take one as you go this morning and keep it as a keepsake and a reminder. Look at it from time to time um, uh, of that that challenge that God sets before us. Well, next week, God willing, I hope to share with you some insights into who our God is, even though he's so big and he's so amazing uh, that we don't even have the proper words to, to describe him. But in the meantime, we do have a responsibility to consecrate ourselves, to be prepared, available, 
ready to be used any time that God moves us in mission, to be in the right place, facing in the right direction, with our eyes and our hearts open, ready to respond, ready to follow. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Lord will do amazing things among you. And at the moment we're going to conclude our service around the Lord's table. But before we do, I'd like you to listen and, and to watch a special video song that reminds us just how amazing our God really is. So if we could have that video as we prepare our hearts to enter into communion. <laughs>